Hello, everybody. Welcome to tonight's edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. Nice to have you with us on this Monday evening as we look back at what was a fantastic sporting weekend. Let's start with the Open. Yep. American Brian Harmon was a six-stroke winner in the Open Championship. He held back a high-caliber chasing pack on the final day. What a miserable weather day it was at uh, Royal Holyoke, Royal Liverpool Golf Course. It was fantastic performance by the American, and not known to many, to be perfectly honest with you, but an outstanding performance in terrible weather conditions. And amazingly, after the event, it's going to buy a tractor. <laughs> I guess there's all sorts of things people want to buy with money if they win that kind of money. Appalling conditions, and at the inter- post-day's uh, interview, he even admitted to the fact that he complimented the fans for staying out in the terrible weather on the last day because he said he uh, wouldn't have been a fan if it was pouring like that. So hats off to them. He wouldn't have been watching golf yesterday if he was a fan. So great performance by him. Wonderful result. And nice to get a new name on the top of the leaderboard. But I'll tell you what else was an outstanding, absolutely outstanding result was the reigning amateur champion Christo Lamprecht adding to South Africa's illustrious history in the Open Championship. He became the country's first silver medal winner in the 151st edition of the Open. Now, the silver medal winner, of course, is the leading amateur. The gold medal winner is the man who wins the tournament outright. Setting records, making history is something that's becoming a habit for the young South African. When he was only 16 years and 25 days old, he became the youngest ever winner of the South African Amateur Championship. That was at Humewood. Um, he also later demonstrated his maturity at the County Loth to become the youngest champion and the first foreign winner in the 76-year history of the East of Ireland Amateur Open Championship. Uh, Lamprecht and his fellow Golf RSA National Squad members Martin Foster, Casey Jarvis and Sam Simpson fired a record-setting 41 under-par winning total to win the Toyota Junior World Cup in Japan. And he has gone on and done quite brilliantly. Only 53 golfers have distinguished themselves as the leading amateur in the Open since the silver medal was introduced in 1949. And the 22-year-old Lamprecht was humbled to follow notables like Jose Maria Olafabel, Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy. It is rare to see a young golfer capitalize as he has done rebounding so well after playing some poor shots is what some of the other men in the field said. Of course, he led after the first day, so he knows exactly what it's like. Um, he, of course, is ranked fourth in the world in the amateur rankings, which came into being in 2007. So great year, and it's only halfway through the year. Well done. Incidentally, um, he's only about six foot nine. I mean, he's a huge uh, height-wise, um, and uh, I'm sure we're going to see and hear a heck of a lot about the young South African as he turns, I'm sure one day he'll turn professionally. Shots rounds a 66, unfortunately a 79 in the second round, a 76 and a 74, and secured the leading amateur honours. Well done. Well, well done, Christo Lambrecht. Now, somebody else who broke records yesterday, along with his team, Max Verstappen. Yep, the uh, racing driver 
of notes cruised to another majestic victory. It's a record 12th straight win for Red Bull. Yep, that is incredible. That is a record that they have broken that was held by McLaren as he dominated the Hungarian Grand Prix, a textbook drive from lights to flag, as they say. The defending double world champion grabbed the lead from Lewis Hamilton at the start, remained in control. It's his seventh successive victory, his ninth in 11 races this year, and 44th of his young, illustrious career. But most significantly, it was Red Bull's 12th consecutive win, which broke the 35-year-old record that they've shared with McLaren, who won 11 straight races in 1988 with Alain Prost and Ayrton Senna as their driver pair. And it was, in fact, McLaren who came second through Lando Norris yesterday. Verstappen came home 33.7 seconds ahead of Norris with his Red Bull teammate Sergio Perez, in third place, the seven-time world champion Lewis Hamilton, who started the race from a record 104th pole position, was completely outpaced at the start and finished fourth for Mercedes ahead of Oscar Piastri in the second McLaren ahead of the Ferrari of Charles Leclerc. Leclerc. However, took a five-second penalty and was passed, if you like, by George Russell in the second Mercedes. Carlos Sainz finished eighth in the second Ferrari ahead of the Aston Martin pairing of Fernando Alonso and Lance Stroll. According to Lando Norris, it was a tough race. It wasn't easy to hold off check at the end when he was catching up. But another podium for him and the team, he says they're making great progress. He is quite right indeed. The race started off with a temperature of over 30 degrees, a track temperature of over 54 that did affect tyre performance, but Verstappen, who wore an ice pack vest on the grid uh, under an umbrella for most of the time, got out to a great start and nobody could get anywhere near him. So that was the Grand Prix, Hungarian Grand Prix. It's one more before they go on a seasonal break. Their summer, the Southern Hemisphere's winter. And that, of course, is this coming up weekend in Belgium at Spa. Uh, it always rains in Spa, so the rain falls mainly on the plains in Spain. We will be bringing you a preview of that race, of course, in the next couple of days. What else happened over the weekend? Rain, rain, come again, fall on another day or something similar to that. Nursery shows it wasn't a fairy tale ending. Unfortunately for England, we do go down to the final test match this week with something to play for, and that is for England to draw the series, but they cannot win back the Ashes from Australia, who retained the Ashes last night. Cricket fans down under woke up this morning after the Manchester Rain rescued their team in a drawn fourth test. Australia retained the urn after no play was possible on day five at Old Trafford due to the wet weather, leaving England trading 2-1 in the series ahead of the final test on Thursday at the Oval. Really, could the Ashes have been secured in more hollow circumstances with almost two days of rain saving Australia from what appeared certain defeat, wrote Malcolm Conn in this morning's Sydney Morning Herald. Despite the circumstances of the draw, Con, like other Australian cricket scribes, was not about to let England off the hook for being down in the series, heading to Manchester after losing the first two tests at Edgbaston and Lords. Despite being robbed of victory by the weather, England only have themselves to blame for being on the wrong side of history. 
They were in charge of the first test before the Bears ball resulted in an over-optimistic declaration. Reckless batting, wrote Gideon Hay in the Australian. The fantasy of two all going to the Oval had been enchanting to both sets of fans and only the dimmest partisans so craved trophies as to be gratified by no results was written in another of the Australian newspapers. And alas, for England, a little Australian edge in experience had also stood them in good stead through two nipping finishes. It's been an unbelievable series so far, and it was so disappointing that uh, two days of rain saved the Australians, not because I don't like Australia, or because I do like Australia. Neither of those are important. What I do like and love is cricket. And the game has been robbed of what would have been an absolutely incredible decider at the Oval starting on Thursday. But it'll still be a great game. I mean, everybody's going to go, yeah, England was going to win this one. And they most definitely could have, should have, if the rain hadn't come in. But that's why the game is played outdoors, not indoors. The weather conditions affect the play, affect the game, and it's fantastic. So um, the Australian head coach, Andrew McDonald, though, has dismissed the prospect of Pat Cummings stepping down as Test captain after the ongoing Ashes series following the team's struggles against England in the fourth test. It's amazing how one test doesn't make a, a summer. Well, clearly it looks as though the Australians are after his blood. He endured his most difficult moments since taking over the role in October as England pressed for a series-leveling victory, only to be foiled by the inclement weather. Cummings, both as Australia's leader and pace spearhead, according to the newspaper, looked helpless against the swashbuckling batting of Zach Crawley and Johnny Bairstow, while the short-pitched bowling employed came a cropper against England's Bears ball approach. Former Victoria captain Darren Berry criticised Australia's approach and predicted Cummins, who bled 5.6 and over in the match, would step down after the final test beginning at the Oval. Apparently those are most interesting comments so not a nonsense seriously the guys done absolutely nothing wrong whatsoever um they were on a hiding to nothing in the fourth test but it's not like they haven't played well i mean they've perfectly uh, well positioned after the first two test matches yes i think if they'd lost yesterday and gone on to lose the fifth test and lost from being 2-0 up, then I think his job could very well have been in the balance. But I think we're going to see a lot more of Pat Cummings. I can tell you that right now. So what else started over the weekend? Well, the greatest show on earth, this time featuring the women of the world, um, that was a opening game on Friday and a whole lot of other matches as far as the weekend is concerned. And I am talking, of course, about the FIFA Women's World Cup. Right, let's go through the matches and the results as we have had them so far. Friday, Spain beat Costa Rica by three goals to nil. The Philippines lost to Switzerland 2-0. And Nigeria and Canada drew 0-0. Saturday, there were four games in the Women's World It was the United States beating Vietnam by three goals to nil. Japan thumped Zambia 5-0. England beat Haiti by a goal to nil. Not the best result. I mean, it was a good result in terms of the three points, but not the best performance by the English. And then the Danes, they beat the People's Republic of China by a goal to nil. A fantastic result for the uh, Netherlands over Portugal, a goal to nil victory there. France and Jamaica drew nil-nil, and I've left one game out, and that was Sweden against South Africa. 
I'm not 100% certain how to even tackle the result. Let me give it to you. 2-1 to Sweden. But that doesn't tell you anything about the game. So South Africa, like they've done, men and women, on many occasions before, have gone a goal to Nola, have not been able to defend that 1-0 lead. Um, it was one all after 65 minutes. And then in referees' optional time, the Swedes scored from a header and took all three points, winning by two goals to one. Seven minutes added on by the referee in that referee's optional time. Um, and uh, it was a tremendous performance by the young South African team. I mean, we, we've got to give them credit where credit is due. They really, really did well. They are the third uh, shortest team, if uh, you're interested in that kind of thing. Um, they are the third shortest team in the competition. They have an average height of 1.61 meters. Vietnam, 1.6, and Zambia, 1.59, are shorter than them. And to paint the picture even further, the Scandinavians, who beat them with that header in the uh, from the corner, are the third tallest team at this, the ninth edition of the Global Spectacle, jointly hosted by New Zealand and Australia. So you might be wondering, how has it gone? Well, I can tell you right now, in Australia, it seems to be going really good um, as far as the crowds are concerned, as far as the atmosphere is concerned. Not so great in New Zealand, I might add, because they are a little bit disturbed by the lack of support, particularly in Wellington where the host city hopes the arrival of football ferns will help stir more excitement. Early matches failed to fill the 33,000-capacity Sky Stadium, but a record crowd of 42,137 watched New Zealand claim their first-ever World Cup victory. A 1-0 win over Norway at Eden Park, but the tournament has gotten off to a tepid start in the New Zealand capital. Friday's match between Spain and Costa Rica failed to reach 70% capacity, with only 22,966 in attendance, while Sunday's game between Sweden and South Africa was even worse, only 55% capacity. New Zealand residents were slow to pounce, prompting the global soccer governing body to offer 20,000 free days ahead of kickoff. What organizers really need to do is inform people of what is the uniqueness about being able to go along and see two teams play that are not the national team and not even be particularly high ranked. Um, well, they're trying their best to get them in. Um, the game is sold out along with Thursday's match with four times champions the United States and then Netherlands, their 2019 foe. So there is sort of a light at the end of the World Cup tunnel. But the games in Australia, well, they certainly are really being well supported. 80,000 people at the opening game in Australia. Right, let's move along, shall we? On to two wheels. Um the Tour de France has come and gone, and it is a victory for the Jumbo Visma team with Jonas Vingegaard, the victor. When we spoke to Andrew McLean, he said he was the favorite, and he was absolutely dead right. He was quite superb. 
was the leader of the Jumbo Fismus team from the Netherlands. He is a Dane, incidentally, and he was the number one rider on the team. And uh, it's one stage victory and well done. 57 podiums for them. And he is now the winner again of the greatest cycling event in the world and uh, the Tour de France as I say has come and gone but Vindegaard has won his second successive Tour de France after Jordi Muse claimed the final stage honours on the Champs-Élysées no finish next year incidentally on the Champs-Élysées because it's going to coincide with the Olympics the Dane of the Jumbo Fismus team crossed the finish line after the 21-day race, 7 minutes and 29 seconds ahead of Tadej Pogarka, the champion in 2020 and 2021. Pogarka's UAE teammate Adam Yates rounded off the top three on the podium, and Vingegaard's winning margin was the largest since 2014 when Vincenzo Nibali took the fabled champion's yellow jersey by 7 minutes and 39 seconds. So there you go. Tour de France done and dusted for another year. As I say, next year they won't be finishing on the famous Champs-Élysées because of the Olympics that will be taking place next year. So what else uh, did we have over the weekend? We've obviously covered the Grand Prix. We have covered golf. Well, there was other golf. It was in Barracuda. Yep. And that was American Batia, Birdied the 72nd hole to force a playoff and then beat Patrick Rogers with a par on the first playoff hole to claim his first USPGA title at the Barracuda Champion. Batia shook off two early bogeys and a double bogey at the fifth, making six birdies on his way to scoring nine points under the modified Stableford scoring system that awards points for birdies and eagles and deducts them for bogeys and worse. Now, the other event of the weekend, and I'm so, so glad that he is now back in form. Wade Fanekak is unbeaten in the 400 metres this season, and he held his nerve to cross the finish line first at the London Diamond League Athletics meeting yesterday. He's now 31 and held off a stiff challenge from the Americans Bryce Dedman and Vernon Norwood. Britain's Matthew Hudson-Smith claimed his third Diamond League victory this season in a time of 44.36 seconds. The South African world record holder, his record of 43.03 seconds, usually enjoys a comfortable winning margin and showed an appetite for a bit of a street fight with his challengers at his heels as they crossed the finish line. Great performance there. Meanwhile, at the Louis II Stadium, South African 100-meter record holder Akani Sambina, as a precaution, withdrew from Friday night's Diamond League meeting in Monaco due to cramp in his hamstring. In his absence, his rival, to be the fastest man in Africa, Ferdinand Omanyala, made history by becoming the first Kenyan to win a 100-meter race at a Diamond League event in under 10 seconds. 9.92 Botswana's world under 20 champion Letsile Tebojo made it a thrilling finish by coming second in 9.93. But I'm so glad to see Wade Fanikek back at what looks like almost his absolute best with regards to his performance 
at the weekend. Now, this week also sees some more rugby. And if win percentages since the emergence from the COVID pandemic were the key determining factor over world rugby rankings, it would be difficult to take issue with the current accuracy. Three of the current top four ranked sides, all duly tipped as main contenders for the World Cup crown later this year, resumed their test activity towards the end of 2020. But the Webb Ellis Cup holders, South Africa, who are currently fourth on the ranking, set out the entire year in 2020. All of Ireland, who are first, second France, and third place New Zealand, got back on the bus in the latter portion of that dramatic year. It means that in the post-COVID period up to now, the Springboks have played fewer tests than any others. The All Blacks lead the way with 36 compared to 28 from South Africa. This, of course, will change at the weekend when South Africa are back in action again. We are looking at the last round of matches in the rugby championship. The South Africans take on Argentina, while Australia take on New Zealand. I don't think we're going to can expect any major surprises. What I have uh, got for you is that it looks like there are going to be a few changes in the Springbok side. Kirtley Aronser is expected to make a return to the starting 15 at Ellis Park on Saturday. Aronser delivered a man-of-the-match performance in Pretoria against Australia with a hat-trick of tries. And then, of course, they lost in South Africa quite comprehensively to the All Blacks. The Springboks have to earn maximum points against the Argentinians and hope that the winless Wallabies somehow keep New Zealand from coming away with nothing from their match at the Melbourne Cricket Ground on Saturday in order to win this edition of the championship. Um... Aronson could take Makazole Mapimpi's place on the left wing for the match in Johannesburg. Jesse Creel, who will be earning his 60th test cap, could likely replace Nukanyo Um, who's played in both tests so far. Now, for the box to win the title, the All Blacks must lose without a bonus point to the Aussies, while a win and a draw will seal the deal for New Zealand. The box can earn themselves 10 lot points, but a losing bonus point win for the Kiwis will also give them 10 points and by virtue of their 35-20 win over us. But I keep saying it, and I'll say it again. There is no worry for me except the last game in France. The Springbok World Cup squad will be announced on the 8th of August, and you can be sure we will bring you that squad on the day of the announcement. We look forward to bringing you that and a whole lot of other great sport and sports interviews through the course of this week. We will be doing a post-mortem tomorrow evening. Bafana and Klocker will be joining us when we take a look back at the World Under-20 World Cup that took place and how the baby box did. We'll be talking to him. We'll be talking to Andrew Britska on uh, Wednesday evening when we will be looking at the issues surrounding South Africa and the possible tour to New Zealand. And the issues around it, of course, relate to the uh T20 that takes place at a similar time right here in South Africa. Once again, Cricket South Africa are going to have egg on their face if they don't sort that problem out. And of course, there's a whole host of other stuff that we'll be bringing you going forward over the next couple of days. We hope you will join us for another edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room when we talk to you again tomorrow evening. We talk rugby. Wednesday evening, we talk cricket. And Thursday evening, right now, I have no idea. That's the honest truth, but I guarantee you it will be something of great interest on Thursday. As always, till next time, be nice to each other. Bye for now.